So uh, sometimes it happens. Uh, it happens to people, uh, especially sometimes when when we don't deserve it. It happens to us. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it happens. Y'all know what this is? Do I have to say anything more? Is, there, is everybody tracking with me? Does anybody need does, does anybody need a clue as to what this is? Okay, because I can throw you one. I got plenty up here. Okay, uh, let's get real. So, sometimes it happens, um, and it's even worse when it happens to us when we don't feel like we've done anything to deserve it. Like the story of the song that we just sang. Uh, Isaac Slade, the, the lead singer-writer for this group, The Fray, he wrote the song in the middle of some very difficult circumstances in his family. And you get the idea from the lyrics that it was about him losing somebody that was very important to him, somebody who he loved very much, someone who knew him very well. And in his own words, Isaac says about the song, it's about the disappointment, the heartache, and the letdown that comes with life. It doesn't just happen to rock stars. Uh, that song, You Found Me, is at the top of the charts because so many people identify with it. It happens to us too. And sometimes we just don't flat out deserve it. We lose our jobs and it has nothing to do with our competency. Somebody breaks up with us and we're left confused and wondering what happened all of a sudden. Someone we love very much dies all of a sudden. We're, we're left to pick up the pieces. Makes me think of our neighbors full of ambition. They're excited about starting this new restaurant. And, and right as they're moving from New York to Texas, they get some terrible news that their 18-month-old daughter has been diagnosed with leukemia. What did they do to deserve that? They're not perfect people by any means. None of us are. But what, what did they do to deserve that? Moreover, what did that little girl, what did Salomea do to deserve that? Or Sally Shank, the wife of my church planning coach, Harold Shank. Um, Sally is just a little bundle of holiness. I don't know if, if you've ever met that kind of person, but she smiles every time you see her. I mean, she's about that, that tall, jet black hair. I mean, she's always just beaming. And it's, it's not the fake churchy beaming. It's the she's got some genuine joy and I can tell kind of beaming. Um, she cares about the things that God cares about. She is a very holy woman. She is faithful. She's, she's the definition, uh, the embodiment of saint. Now, a couple of years ago, Sally was diagnosed with breast cancer and she's been under, undergoing very painful treatments ever since. And for the rest of her life, She'll have to, uh, to keep tabs on it. She's had to lose her hair and have terrible pain in her body. And she'll have to keep an eye on it for the rest of her life, even after she enters remission. Now, I can't think of a more pure person, a better person than Sally. What did Sally do to deserve that? Surely she's not perfect by any means, but, but what did she do to deserve it? Sometimes it happens to us when... We don't deserve it. In fact, it's been happening this way for a long, long time. Job was a stand-up guy. 
He was the wealthiest man in his region. He lived in a pastoral culture and had thousands and thousands of animals. He had hundreds of servants. He had 10 kids. And to top it off, this very wealthy, influential man was also a really good guy. He had character. He was faithful to God. He cared about his kids being faithful to God. He was a good dad. He was generous and open-handed to people who were poor. Uh, To his servants, Job was a good man. And then the unimaginable happened. In the same day, he had four servants come to him with a look of dread on their faces. And the first one said, I'm really sorry to tell you, but all your oxen and your donkey and the people that you had hired to care for them have been stolen and killed. second one said, All your sheep and all of your shepherds have been burned to death. The third one came and said, All your camels have been stolen and your your camel herders have been killed. The fourth one said, All your kids were in the same house and it collapsed on them and they died instantly. In an instant, Job had lost so much. He lost almost all of his family. He lost his financial security. What did Job do? He was a righteous man. What did Job do to deserve that? Sometimes it happens to good people who don't deserve it. And maybe you're in the middle of this kind of experience uh, or you know someone who is. There's a huge question to ask in the midst of these kind of circumstances. And it is, what do we do when it happens? How do we respond when it happens? All of us respond in one way or another, but perhaps it's really hard, especially in the moment, to reflect on, okay, how should I respond appropriately in the midst of this terrible suffering? And and lots of us, uh, myself included, we don't really take time to think through how will I respond, anticipating suffering that might come into our lives because inevitably it, it does, doesn't it? There are several ways that we respond when it hits the fan, for better or for worse. Maybe one of these is your default response of choice. Okay, option number one is to internalize it. We like to bottle it up, we hold our breath, and we just bury it deep, deep down inside. We want to be the strong one, we want to be the one who keeps it together. And so we keep it to ourselves. And slowly but surely, it begins to eat away at our insides. Number two, option number two, we want to we numb it. We want to take a pain reliever and we want to medicate. We want to alleviate the pain. We want to uh, we dism- diminish the stench. We don't want to be able to smell the pain anymore. It distracts us from the grief that we have. When we can cope, we can find a coping mechanism. And we have a heyday. It might be overeating. It might be drinking. It might be getting high. It might be looking at porn. You name it. All of these are coping mechanisms that help us numb the pain of the stench. Object number three, favorite one of mine, uh, is to project it. We're so torn up by what's happened that we turn it into a projectile missile. Micah, yeah. Hey, Charles, how's it going? Why are you talking to me? 
I can't stand you. Why are you talking to me? And we, we, we aim it at other people. That stuff that's come into our lives, we take it out. You want on o- <laughs> we take it out on other people. Uh, we're, we're cranky and toxic. People can't get along with us because we're mean all the time. We're not really mad at them. We're just mad about what's happened. And we want to share with other people. Aren't we generous? Misery loves company, eh? Option number four. Uh, this option actually sounds pretty, pretty holy and spiritual. And Job's so-called buddies actually endorse this option. This option is simply to accept it. Okay, so, so we, we accept it. And, I mean, we're just sp- supposed to hold with it, keep it there, accept it. I mean, that's a, that's a holy spiritual kind of thing. This is, this is God's, God's will for me, and I'm, I've just got to stick with it. I've got to, I've got to take it. Job's friends tell him that what happened to him is for his good. In fact, Job, you really did deserve what you got in the end. God is actually disciplining you for being sinful. And it's God's will for you to suffer right now. So accept it. Eliphaz in uh, chapter 5, verse 17 of Job. If you have a Bible near you, it's on page 348 if you want to follow along. Otherwise, we're in Job 517. It's right before Psalms, about halfway through your Bible. So Eliphaz, promoting this accept it option, in chapter 5, verse 17, page 348, says, Blessed are those whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For He wounds, but He also binds up. He injures, but His hands also heal. Eliphaz is saying, God is disciplining you, Job. You should accept it. You know, this option is really attractive to us because... It's true many times. You know, there's a, there's a great scripture in the 12th chapter of Hebrews that says exactly what Eliphaz says. It says God disciplines those that he loves. So it's true sometimes. No one would deny that we're all pretty much consistently idiotic when it comes to our relationship with God and others. We screw up, we do dumb stuff, and so sometimes to shake us out of that idiocy, God uses hardship to discipline us. And a lot of times it's just a consequence of our behaviors. You know, if we drink and drink and drink and drink, we lose our liver, we lose our family, bam, discipline. But here's the deal. Suffering is not always discipline from God. Sometimes it is not discipline from God. Sometimes we don't deserve it. The story of Job is case in point. Job doesn't know it, but it's God who's causing him to suffer. And God knows that Job is righteous and faithful and a good man. Those words come right out of his mouth in the first chapter of Job. But God wants to prove to the heavenly adversary that Job loves God outside of the blessings that Job gets from God. But all this begs the question, okay, how does Job respond? When it happens to him, how does Job react? Well, let's hear it. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, 
May the day of my birth perish. And the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be counted among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night become barren. May there be no shout of joy heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first light of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now, I would be lying down at peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver? Or why was I not hidden away in the ground as a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. Why, why is light given to those in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, to the one who longs for death that does not come, who searches for it more than for hidden treasure, who is filled with gladness and rejoices when he reaches the grave? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groanings pour out like water. What I have feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened. I have no Some of you grew up going to Sunday school, uh, and, and by Sunday school experiences, I'm, I'm referring to the kind as a kid um, where you can say two answers, and they're pretty much acceptable for whatever question might come out of the Sunday school teacher's mouth, you know, God and Jesus, you know. Uh, um, I mean, you know, think of, think of any, any question, you know. What is, what is more mighty than anyone in the world? God. You know, what is, what, is, what, is, what is the most awesome thing that you've ever experienced in your life? 
Jesus. You know, just think about those Sunday school experiences and imagine if the Sunday school teacher had asked, now, now, how should we respond when bad things happen to us for no good reason? Jesus, you know, uh, doesn't really fit. But imagine if somebody like Micah stood up and said, you should tell God, this is so bad that the day I was born shouldn't even exist. And if that day just has to exist, then this is so bad that I should have just died right out of the birth canal. And then say, God, why do you even let people like me live in stuff like this that happens to them? Just save me the trouble. Why don't you, God? Can you imagine the look on people's faces? You know, if you said that in your Sunday school class growing up, you know, might be... You know... They might be appalled by that kind of reaction. He's got some gall, I mean, trying to tell God those kinds of things. Are you, are you sure he could say that to God and get away with it? But Job gives us this fifth option for responding when it happens. And that is, let God have it. And by let God have it, I mean, let God have it. Job is really giving it to God, if you know what I mean. Uh, and it's, it's not really like this. It's more like, I mean, he is, he's giving it to God. He's letting God have it. Maybe you're wondering at this point, okay, uh, so if, if we don't have the internalize option or the numb it or project it or accept it option or the, the let God have it option, then what is it? What, how do we respond? But what if, what if letting God have it is really a legitimate response? What if letting God have it is a preferred response? Here's a few clues, I think, for, what, for why we can pick up on uh, why we shouldn't be appalled at Job's response to God, but rather attracted to it. The first clue is found in chapter 1, verse 21, on page 346, where all of this has just happened to Job, and Job, Job's response is, well, God gives, God takes away, may the name of the Lord be praised. Job responds with what we can see as very concrete faith in that situation. And it says that Job didn't sin by charging God with wrongdoing. But just a page later, here Job is, uh, on, on the other side of the book, letting God have it. Chapter 1 and chapter 3, they seem like opposite, contradicting responses. But what if they're not? What if faith has something to do with both of them? Another clue comes at the end of Job's story, page 368, uh, chapter 42, verse 7. It says at the very end of the story, not to give too much away if you haven't gotten to the end yet, uh, it says that Job had spoken of God what was right. Job had spoken rightly of God and that his friends, like Eliphaz, had not. Now, granted, it's hard to know exactly what exactly his right speaking applies to because Job, Job does call God a criminal at one point in his little diatribe, diatribe, and he does have a moment where he kind of submits and says, you know, you are God and I am not, and I'm, I'm satisfied with that. But at the least, it says that Job was not completely off his rocker when it came to approaching God. A stronger clue yet comes to us when we look at another part of the scriptures. 
and, and that is the Psalms, just right after Job, the next page over. The Psalms are basically the worship songs of Israel. Did you know that, that 60% of the Psalms are lament Psalms, akin to the very words that Job is uttering in Job chapter 3? 60%, 6 out of 10, one, more than one out of every two Psalms that you read is a song of complaint to God for, for stuff, for, for, for when it happens. Read the Psalms sometime and, and you'll, you'll be able to tell for yourself. Uh, one of the strongest laments in the Psalms ends this way. Darkness is my best friend. And that, that sounds a lot like Job's words in Job chapter 3. Another one says, How long, O Lord, how long are you going to hide your face from me. These are strong words for the creator of the universe. You know, it's remarkable as we think about it. You know, perhaps lament or letting God have it is not the absence of faith. Perhaps lament is the very expression of faith in God. Think about it. Why even take the trouble to address God about stuff happening to us if we didn't believe that he had some power to do something about it. If you didn't have any faith when it happens, you wouldn't even bother talking to God about it. Uh, it's interesting to hear what Isaac Slade says about their hit song. Uh, after listening to it, you think, man, those are, those are harsh words for God. He, he's really had it up to here with God. Where were you when everything fell apart? You showed up a little late, didn't you, God? You took everything I wanted. But when blogging about the song, he wrote, It demands so much of my faith to keep believing, to keep hoping in the unseen. Sometimes the tunnel has a light at the end, but usually they just look as black as night. This song is about that feeling and the hope that I still have buried deep in my chest. That song is not an expression of disbelief for Slade but actually an expression of hope and faith. It is properly a, a lament song to God. One of my, one of my professors in seminary is uh, a modern-day Job. His name is John Mark Hicks, and when he was 21, he lost his wife of three years, Sheila, to a blood clot that stopped her heart after surgery, Several years later, he was remarried, and they had several children. One of those children had a genetic uh, disorder, and he died when he was a teenager. And several years after his teenage son died, his wife walked out and left. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. One thing after another. Uh, stu bad stuff happening to this, to this really godly, wonderful man. John Mark talks about how he began to read Job and Psalms in a new light. The songs of lament within those books became his prayers to God. He learned to lament in his circumstances and it changed him. He was able to hold on to his relationship with God by letting God have it. He didn't get answers to his questions, but he encountered God in such a way that he was able to submit and say, you are God, I am not, I, I don't know the answers to this, but I'm, I'm going to trust you. 
I'm, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to continue to voice my complaints, even when it seems like there's just darkness all around me. And I'll, I'll encourage you today. If you're in the midst of it, if you're in the midst of it today, let God have it. Try that. Try that option. Let God have it. Because God can take it. God can handle your questions and your pain. God is big enough to take it. He can take it. Whether you've, whether you've lost a relationship and somebody's walked out on you and you're confused as to why that's happened and you don't have answers and you don't understand, let God have it because God can take it. If you've lost your job and it doesn't make sense because all of the people around you, uh, are they don't seem to be as competent as you. They've still got their jobs. You're, you're struggling to understand why you lost yours. Let God have it. Maybe somebody is sick in your life who you just, of all of the people in your life, why would that person be sick? Why would that person die? Why would they be experiencing suffering? Why would I be experiencing that kind of suffering? Let God have it because God can take it. God is big enough to take it. And maybe, maybe we'll, we'll just end up finding God in the midst of that or or. God will find us. Let's, let's have uh, a time now where we can express our faith to God. Think about the it in your life that you need to let God have. And, and let that be on the forefront of your, of your mind and at the center of your heart as we, as we just give it to God in these following moments.